Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Um, I, I have this feeling kind of in the pit of my stomach that uh, that maybe this isn't going to be the easiest um, trip. And I think when you give me an opportunity to pry, I'm like, no, I'm not going to take it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, the last one didn't go well. I'm like, oh, okay. Sorry. Not going to ask you why. You mean Clifford Potter? Yeah, I, I was the one that I was the one that found him. If, if you don't mind me asking, what uh, what exactly was it that you that you found when you went out there? There was blood splattered up on the bobcat. Uh, it was pretty gruesome. I, I I'd never seen anything like that before. The bigger issue might just you know be making sure that we're maybe not making a bigger deal out of everything than than needs to be made. Conditions out here are tough, so you know that could account for any sort of things that seem strange. Well, my my grandpa used to work at the at the plant he he worked for the the owner his story ends uh, about as abruptly as the plant story did he actually he died in the explosion that brought down the plant just thinking back to the day and the moment when you found her were there any signs of struggle around there wasn't enough of her left to show any signs of struggle it was there there i, I can't i can't imagine that i would have been able to figure anything out from that San Diego, California, June 8th, 2015. Mr. Lau? Yes, Mr. Lau, I'm ready for you. Sonny Lau stood up apprehensively and followed the woman into her office. He had been in a lot of offices in his career. CIA conference rooms with bare walls and old furniture. This one looked nothing like that. The woman, Dr. Barrett, his new therapist, directed Sonny to sit in a leather chair in the middle of the room, and she sat in one opposite him. Now, Mr. Lau, can I call you Sonny? Excellent. Sonny, I know our time together has been mandated by your employer, but I hope that we'll be able to make this as productive as possible for you, and that you'll give me a chance to support you in whatever way I can. Now, I have your file, but it's a bit sparse. Can you tell me a little bit about why you're here? His mind flashed immediately to sitting on the floor of a dark room. The light bulb hanging above him flickered on and off, buzzing so loudly that the sound imprinted on his brain. He felt his eyes shifting back and forth into the corners of the room, looking, waiting for it to come back. But no, he wasn't ready to tell her about that. Well, I've spent the last few years doing work abroad. I know that you deal with folks who have experienced high levels of trauma, Dr. Barrett, so this shouldn't come as too much of a shock. But I was taken hostage on my last trip out of the country. I was held captive for, well, quite a while. Dr. Barrett nodded and said, I'm so sorry to hear that, Sonny. Please, continue. A new image appeared in Sonny's mind, this time of a stepped pyramid bathed in sunlight. Sonny knew that he had never been there, that this wasn't his memory, but it felt as real as if it had been. As if he were floating, Sonny started to make his way up the pyramid, and looking up, he saw huge winged creatures flying, circling above it. Sonny shook his head and cleared the image from view. He saw Dr. Barrett sitting in front of him again. When I was freed, well, things were different. I didn't lose my job, but I've been stuck behind a desk ever since. And I just can't get the experience out of my head. It's all I can think about. It's affected my work, my life, my relationship. My wife and I have decided to split up. It's for the best, but it's hard. 
but I can barely even think about that. Dr. Barrett nodded her head. Thanks for sharing that, Sonny. I appreciate you being willing to be so vulnerable with me this early on. But he wasn't being vulnerable. There was so much more that he wasn't telling her. This was the easy part. This is what he could tell her, because even though he knew the visions had been caused by whatever drugs they were giving him, he knew he couldn't tell her about the pyramid, or about the river of blood he saw flowing down the steps every time it popped into his head. He couldn't tell her about the reptilian creature standing at the top of the pyramid, wearing elaborate silk robes and studying some sort of laboratory equipment. He couldn't tell her about the creature he was sure had been stalking his cell, ready to slice him into a million tiny pieces if he let it get too close. No, he couldn't tell her any of that. So he continued with what he could tell her. The only thing that's really helped, surprisingly enough, is surfing. I took it up recently, and when I'm out on the water, it really helps me clear my head. just listening to an episode of my favorite actual play podcast. Um, I'll give them a shout out here, though, if there is ever a moment where someone listens to this podcast first and then finds them, I will be, it'll be the greatest moment of my life. But uh, I was just listening to an episode of the Glass Cannon podcast. And they were actually, I think it was Androids and Aliens, which is another one of their podcasts. And they were just having this conversation. And I, I can't help but bring this up here as well. Um, if you could go back and do something different in college than the way you had the experience, what would you change about your college experience? I can start while you're all thinking, because they said this at the end, but it was the first thing that I thought of, which was I would play more role-playing games, because I, my friends all discovered, like, second half of senior year, that we were like, you know what we've always wanted to try was Dungeons & Dragons, and none of us had ever played before then. And we like just kind of started playing in like the last two months of college. But it would be the perfect time to play RPGs. Like you just you're always together. You have so much time. You don't mind staying up until three in the morning. Like it would be the perfect opportunity to do it. So that's what I would do. Sad that happened to you. I feel like that happened to me with Catan in college. It was like during finals week, senior year. Kelsey actually made a like a bracket style tournament. <laughs> but but that's not my answer. When are we? When are we doing that again? A bracket-style tournament of Catan. Oh my god, that sounds <laughs> amazing! Count me in. It was so fun. I think that we were playing a game of Catan when we discovered that we all wanted to play D and D. I'm pretty sure that that was happening. Um, this was. This was. I think I had met my wife Kelsey, who Sarah was just talking about, but I don't think that we were dating yet. Um, but this was with my. This was with my like close college friends. Um, we played a lot of Catan senior year, but not enough D and D. You probably taught her Catan, and then she taught me Catan, and now here so. we all I are. So. Catan brings people together. What can you say? <laughs> I don't know if this is like a this is like a very vague answer, but I, I was one of those people who like switched their major junior year, and so oh. like spent the last two years uh, just like 
having to rechange all the like classes and prereqs that I should have already taken and all that kind of stuff. So I would have just made that choice way sooner and then been able to, I don't know, take more classes that I was interested in or, uh, or just do some more weird stuff, uh, like junior and senior year and not be, you know, as stressed out as I was. Yeah. I mean, on, on the show that I was listening to when they first talked about this, it, the, the answers ranged from, I would have, I would have chosen a different major too. I would have had more sex. So like, I think, I think all, all options are on the table. For me, I probably would just, uh, I wish I had the, the, I guess, mindset and the knowledge that I have now back then, if that, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like, um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily like question any of the things that I learned. And, you know, as I get older, I realize that, you know, uh, there's certain things that like, you know, it, it's just like about, you know, who picks the curriculum and, and you know, how, uh, you know, people's beliefs, uh, you know, make their way into, uh, into a curriculum and, and things like that. And so I feel like I would just, I would have, uh, uh, maybe taken some of what I learned with a grain of salt, if that makes sense. Definitely makes sense, yeah. So is it really lame that I can't think of anything? I'm like, I liked all the classes I took. <laughs> I did weird stuff with my friends. I don't know. Sarah had the perfect college experience. I think so. I wish I could go back to how, like, <laughs> I wish I could get back my ability to recover from treating my body terribly. That like, would be nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> like I could just, I could go and and you know eat like three crunch wraps from Taco Bell and like drink like eight beers and then I could just like wake up in the morning and like feel fine. I 100% <laughs> agree with that. I, this isn't even like this isn't even really treating my body terribly, but I'm this maybe is a topic for another conversation. But I'm really into the Olympics and the first night of the Olympics, I like stayed up pretty late to watch some of the first events, and I've been tired ever since then. Like, it, it doesn't matter how much sleep I get. I, I'm, I'm, I didn't get enough that one night weeks ago, and I'm, I'm still exhausted. <laughs> so nothing, Sarah, really? I don't, maybe like more weird parties. I feel like, I don't know, I had friends that would throw like a purple party and like everything would be themed purple, but maybe, or like there was a red one. I don't know, more weird parties, I guess. More color themed parties. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, there could have been other themes. I don't know. I mean, honestly, that's like any of any of your college friends that are listening to this. Like, that's pretty good that you like ha that you had a college experience that was so good that the only thing you want is like a yellow themed party. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just keep hitting like I, I think of something and then I think of all the ripple effects of it and like just whether like whether or not that would have then changed things that I did like about my college experience. And so I'm hesitant to <laughs> like fully uh, accept any uh, major changes. Wouldn't it be so interesting to be able to like go back and live different portions of your life again, but know what like know that you're going back and living those portions again and just like seeing what the ripple effects are and then just like saying like, no, let me let me just hop back to real life again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like getting a like an erase button or like a un an edit undo, basically. Like I didn't like that one. So let's go back to how it was and then we'll try something different. Yeah, that's so I must be, I think I'm a person who would like not want to do that. I'd be paralyzed to do anything because it would like change the course of my whole life and just be superstitious about it or something. 
things. Okay, my, my real answer is I would drop I would drop out of college and uh, open a gas station in <laughs> Hellbent, California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Beck's always there to bring us back around. <laughs> and we segue in. <laughs> so we will pick up our story again. So so all three agents um, have really started to dig into this investigation at this point. The the two FBI consultants, Sonny and Portia, um, have spent some time with uh, Sheriff Alfred Mann and uh, Deputy Sheriff Lucas Andrazi of the Indio County Sheriff's Department, uh, just getting up to speed on the status of the the murder investigations that are going on with these two people who died in Hellbend, California. Uh, and I believe that they are going to soon be on their way to speak with the coroner, uh, whose office is conveniently right across the street in Independence. Uh, meanwhile, Ben uh, Ben McKissick, the New York Times reporter who is also working for Delta Green, arrived in Hellbend and uh, had a conversation with, with Jarvis Green, uh, who is the... Um, the proprietor of the Gas and Sip, the only meaningful, notable building in Hellbend, and who also is the person who found the body of uh, Clifford Porter, the first of the two victims. And they had a conversation um, about Jarvis's experience finding the body, and also Ben was able to learn that Jarvis's grandfather, Montgomery Green, uh, who's a 98-year-old man who owns the Gas and Sip, had been interviewed by Clifford Potter uh, quite a few times over the last couple of years about his experiences, meaning Montgomery's experiences, as a as an employee of Hunt Electrodynamics, which is the uh, the electrodynamics plant that was outside of Hellbend. It really was the the, ca- the cause of Hellbend being a city or a town in the first place, and which our FBI consultants have, has ju- have just learned, um, was destroyed in 1952 uh, by an explosion at the plant. And it took the founder and owner of Hunt Electrodynamics, Arthur Hunt, uh, with it in the explosion. And so we're going to actually pick back up with Ben. Um, and so, Ben, you've just finished this conversation with Jarvis Green. He's told you that his grand- that he's- he'll talk to his grandfather. Um, to see if he'd be willing to talk with you, but that you know, it's this is this is around the time that he normally takes his naps, and he, you know he's 98, doesn't want to disturb him. But that you should come back tomorrow morning to see if he can set up a good time for you. What's your plan from there? Right now, I'm trying to decide, um, you know, what my next step is. I think, I think it, it might make sense to try to track down Emily Warren, given that. Uh, she she's the other um you know the the other contact that i was given um obviously the the partner of uh, lucille sure yeah that shouldn't be too much of a problem you should be able to you know find her find her address easily enough and you can go out and see her so you arrive um at the house where Lucy, Lucille Mayer and Emily Warren lived, where Emily Warren now lives. Um, it's a small, uh, a pretty small house near the Gas and Sip, um, as many of the, the houses that are habitated, any of the people that are actually still left in Hellbend live in, are all kind of near the main town area. It seems like it's pretty well kept. Um, it's light blue, 
and has white shutters. Um, you know, seems like they seems like they cared to to, to keep the house well kept. Uh, but the yard, just like all of the other grass that you see in the area, is brown and dead because of just the you know the blistering heat in this area of the world and the the lack of precipitation. There are a few sculptures. Um, of various types sitting around outside the house, including some um, some sculptures made out of driftwood. And you don't see any movement inside, but you know that, that doesn't mean that there isn't someone home. So I, I park out front and uh, and I go up and uh, and ring the doorbell. Um, but I, I don't hear anything inside, so I'm um, I'm kind of assuming that the doorbell is broken. So I kind of loudly knock on the door. Yeah, so a few seconds later, uh, a woman does appear. Um, She has uh, dark hair, kind of cut a little bit short, and she's she's wearing, um, they look like kind of older clothes that have paint stains all over them, and she has an apron on over them as well, and she actually has like some some paint smudges on her face also. Um, And she says, "Uh, hi, hello, can I can I help you? Hi, uh, my name's Ben McKissick. I am a reporter, and I'm hoping to speak with Emily Warren. Yes, that's me, though I'm not sure what I would have to say to a reporter. Can you tell me more about what you're reporting on? Sure. I was told that there was um, some murders um, that happened recently around here, and I know that um, that you lost someone who was very close to you, and I'm really just trying to get some more information about uh, what went on that day. She kind of looks as you say that she kind of looks around, kind of like looks over her over your shoulder to like see if anybody's around. She says, "I'm sorry, did, did the police know you're here? What? Who did you say that you write for again?" I work for the New York Times. Um, I have not spoken to the police yet, though I will, uh, I likely will at some point, but really I, I know that um, you were probably the person who was closest to Lucille, and, and I wanted to give you the benefit of, of um, you know, speaking with me first. Alright, why don't you give me, um, you have a super high persuade, but I'm gonna go ahead and make this a roll, so why don't you give me a persuade roll, which you can do on roll 20 just by, I think, clicking the the die button next to your persuade. All right. Um, so that's a success. So she says, well, yes, I suppose I could talk to you for a few minutes. I I don't know if I really have any much to say other than what I've already told the police, but, but I, yes, I suppose that if you're going to be writing about Emily, or if you're going to be writing about Lucille, that I'd like to at least be able to contribute. Um, why are you interested in this case in the first place anyway? Well, I'd like to start by saying that there's no guarantee that I will write about this case or about Lucille specifically. Um, I also want to let you know that anything that you tell me, if you wish um, it to be confidential, that I will keep it confidential. The reason I'm here is because, uh, as you know, there were two deaths in this town that happened um, pretty close to each other with somewhat strange surrounding circumstances and obviously something like this you know is going to attract attention but i want to make sure that this is covered uh in a way that is 
uh, respectful and appropriate. Well, I I certainly appreciate that. Um, yeah. What? Why don't you Why don't you come inside? Um, and she invites you in. So you look inside. Um, you know, for being in such a rundown place, the house is 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 very well kept, very well put together. Um, there's art all over the place. Um, paintings and sculptures and and photography and and all sorts of things it's small you know that's it you could you could probably shout across the house um and everyone would be able to everybody anybody in the house would be able to hear you um and she ushers you into a living room um asks if she can get you a a glass of water or, or lemonade or anything like that um no no thank you i'm i'm all right now all right. So she she pours herself a glass of water and, and sits down and says, uh, "So what can I what can I tell you about Lucille?" Well, I'm I know um, obviously from the information I was given a bit about how she died, but I'm curious, you know, how she lived. I, I want to know um, what what was the nature of your relationship and and how long had you two uh, been together? Well, she she was my life partner she was the love of my life and at this point you can you can already tell that she's getting a little emotional talking about it she says she she was a wonderful person she everyone who ever met her loved her she was the nicest most kind and gentle human that i've ever met we were both artists i i've lived here for a long time and uh, i used to go into la occasionally to sell some of my paintings was you know a way for me to to continue to make a little bit of money and I met her there she she was an artist as well a sculptor and we we met in LA and you know we would we would see each other occasionally and then you know it, it became more frequent and I finally convinced her to to move out here with me and you know I I'm sure you hear this all the time from people who have lost a loved one, a partner, but we truly had a challenge-free relationship. We really had what I would describe as a a nearly nearly perfect relationship. Um, it's been hard these last few weeks being here without her. Um, even though I, I lived here before, I it's hard for me now to imagine a life here without her. Um, I'm thinking of leaving actually, uh, but I I haven't gotten up the courage to do that yet. I, I certainly understand, and I'm I'm very sorry for your loss. It sounds like she was an amazing person. She she really was. I I know that you'll try, but I'm I don't think that you will be able to capture in words how amazing of a person she really was. Well, I will, I will certainly do my best. I, I know I know that she uh, was frequently sculpting and and doing you know various artwork. Do you know if that was something that she, if there was anything that she was working on when she died, or, or was there anything that she mentioned that, um, you know, was was uh, a, a big, like, upcoming um, project or event for her? Well, I, I don't know if you saw them outside, but the, the driftwood sculptures outside were hers. They were the thing that she had been working on most recently, she was trying to put together a, a collection that she could show at an art show in LA in a few months. And so she spent had been spending time around dawn um, and then a little bit at dusk sometimes when it wasn't so blazing hot out to go collect driftwood from just outside town. Um, in fact, that's she had gone out to do that 
um, the last time that I saw her. She went out one, e one evening around dusk and didn't come back. And so I reported her missing, but, um, you know, as, as you must know, we didn't find her until a few weeks later and, and then just, just her body. Did she tell you specifically where she was going on uh, the last day that you saw her? She, she didn't say she usually, you know, Hellbend is not a, not a very big place. So she usually just kind of would take a lap around just the outskirts of town just to just to check to see if she could find anything um, out there that she could use she she would tell you that she she's not she's not much for she's not a, a particularly outdoorsy person and not a big risk taker either so it was very strange to hear that she had been found so far outside of town I I have to believe that something happened to bring her out there she wouldn't have gone out there just on her own Sure. Do you know if she ever um, went out to the old hunt plant to um, to look for, um, you know, materials or, or anything like that? Not that I know of. Um, I've never been out there myself. It's it's a little odd. I I've always gotten a bad feeling when I've when I've heard people talk about it. I I would prefer to not go out there. Do you know if? Lucille um, kept a, a, a journal, a diary, or, or notes of any kind. No, I well, at least not that I know of, and I, ha I haven't uncovered one um, anywhere. And I never saw her writing in one. She, she wasn't much of a writer, um, honestly. I'm not really either. We both, I think, we we bonded over the fact that we better expressed ourselves through our art, my paintings, and her sculptures than than through words. Sure. Well, Emily, I really appreciate you speaking with me. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna leave you my contact information, and um, if there's anything else that you think of that you'd like to share about Lucille, you can um, give me a call any time of day. Thank you. I, I appreciate you doing justice to her memory, if you can. Thank you. All right. So she, she shows you out, and you know, at this point, it's getting to be about probably five o'clock or so. Um, you know, early evening. Do you have a, a thought on what you want to, you know, I, I'm sure that you all kind of made some sort of plan to, to retouch base when they arrive. Is there anything that you think you want to do kind of before you wait for your two other uh, partners to arrive? I don't, I don't think so. I think I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty content. I've, I've kind of got this, um, you know, hopefully this, this interview, um, you know, scheduled for tomorrow morning with uh with montgomery so you know hopefully i'm just gonna you know uh, right touch base with the other agents and just kind of see what they uh what they've uncovered sounds good so you also would have been told by by someone um whether by the either by your delta green contact or someone in town that really the only place to stay in this area um is actually in furnace creek there's a there's a pretty popular like retiree resort called Furnace Creek Ranch in Furnace Creek, um, and there's a motel there. In addition to a tiny golf course, a swimming pool, palm trees, a big lot for recreational vehicles, and some shops and a grocery store. So yeah, if you if you're if you're looking for a hotel room, uh, the motel at Furnace Creek Ranch is probably your only option. And so perhaps the three of you kind of decided that you would meet up there 
in the evening once they arrived or something like that. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. All right. So moving back to our FBI consultants, uh, Portia and Sonny. So you've just wrapped up with the sheriff and the, the, the sheriff's deputy. Um, are you heading across the street to the coroner's office? Yeah, we might as well right here. Yeah, I think we still have some some questions that are unanswered and, and need to get maybe a, a medical perspective on these things. Sure. So you cross the street, um, head into the coroner's office. There's a there's an older woman sitting behind a desk. Uh, looks to be uh, a receptionist of some sort. She says, "Oh, hello. Can can I help the two of you?" Hi. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm Special Agent uh, Lau. This is Special Agent Marks. We're uh, we're working with the FBI um, as consultants on the, the two murders that have happened in the last couple, or I should say, two two possible uh, murders that have happened in the last couple months. And uh, Sheriff Mann and Sheriff Andrazi, they, they, they sent us your way. They said that uh, we could maybe talk to the, uh, the head coroner that had uh, been examining the bodies. Oh, yes, yes. Dr. White is here. Uh, what, a, what a terrible, terrible tragedy. tragedy. I, I, sure, I, do, I do hope that you can figure out uh, what happened to those two, those two poor folks. Um, let me, uh, let me go, let me go get Dr. White. And as she's saying that, um, a man walks out from one of the back rooms. Older man, white hair, but, you know, very professional looking, has a kind of, uh, a real, uh, manner of confidence. And he, uh, he walks up to you and says, uh, yes, you two are from the FBI, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Hi, I'm, I'm Dr. Abner White, Inyo County Corner. It's nice to meet you both. It's nice to meet you too. Thank you for for taking some time today. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, Why don't you come back here? Um, and he ushers you back into the back room, and it's just kind of a you know he he kind of walks you walk through the doorway, and it's just like a a, a hallway with the walls painted white and a few closed doors on both sides. It's better if we don't discuss things out front there. Uh, what What can I do for the two of you? How can I help? Yes, we're here to get. Um really more details, as much information as you can give us about the deaths of Clifford Potter and Lucille Mayer. Uh, sure, no no problem. I have some I have some crime scene photos from both crime scenes that you are welcome to take a look at, and uh, do either of you have any medical experience? I, if you do, I, I can show you the bodies, but perhaps uh, if you don't, I, it would be better to just uh, talk things over with you. We're, we're quite comfortable with medical situations. I think that that would probably be best. Um, perhaps we could just hear from you the sequence of events, and then we could see the bodies in the photos, if that's all right. Sure, sure, no problem. And so he starts to tell you, starting with with Clifford, that it was that the 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 body was reported um, by Jarvis Green, uh, that he sent a team out to go take photos of the crime scene. The body was found near a bobcat uh, near the hunt, the old hunt electrodynamics plant. When the body was brought back, he did his examination as he always does. The body had been uh, torn to pieces. He said there was both blunt and cutting trauma to the body. He he wasn't quite sure what exactly he was seeing with the body. It didn't look exactly like he would expect if the if the bobcat had been 
the the thing that caused the injuries, but they didn't uncover any evidence over the course of the next week that really gave him any new information. And so he ended up ruling it a bizarre accident. Perhaps Clifford had fallen off the bobcat and gotten caught up underneath the bobcat. Um, he says it's not a perfect explanation, but you know sometimes in this field there isn't a perfect explanation, and it was the best that he could come up with. He only switched it to ruling it as a possible homicide when he saw the same injuries, both cutting and blunt trauma, um, on Lucille Mayer's body. It was much more difficult to uh, examine her body as it had been out in the elements, he estimates, for, for two weeks. He tells you that, that portions of her skeleton were missing, and he thinks that it that occurred at the time of death rather than from the animals and birds that were out that were that while while her body was out there. But he couldn't even her body was in such a state of disrepair at that point that he had to identify her with dental records um, rather than than any sort of like facial recognition. Thank you, thank you, Doctor Wright. We, we appreciate uh, all your help. Um, I know, especially with Lucille, that like you said, it was very hard to distinguish things from her remains. I'm wondering though, with, with either her or with Clifford, other than those those blunt and cutting injuries that you, that you took note of, was there anything else unusual or, or abnormal that you found uh, with the bodies? Um, anything maybe that looked unrelated to, to the incidents that may have happened to them? There was nothing on or near either of the bodies that suggested anything in terms of how either of them had died. As I mentioned, the bobcat had blood spatter up against the side, uh, which is one of the things that I found odd. Um, it it made me it made me believe that it was less likely that he had been caught up underneath uh, because there wasn't any blood underneath. There was only blood on the side. But again, without a without a a more logical explanation. It feel it, it seems like the best the best uh, explanation that I have is that he had some sort of accident. But as I said, the blood was on the side of the bobcat and, and not underneath. I see, I see. And, and Doctor White, how long have you been here? Oh, I've I've been here for quite a while, uh, almost forty years. Wow, that's quite a feat there. Um, have you ever seen anything like this? Any any sort of Maybe not even similar injuries necessarily, necessarily, but any any time uh, where you've had these sort of um, multiple deaths in a in a short period of time. Not that I can recall, and I don't think that I've ever. I don't think I've ever ruled a possible homicide in the Hellbend area. Um, you know, we there are occasionally deaths like this that occur, you know, accidental deaths or, you know, possible homicides in the county, but I, but those are rare and usually there's much less mystery involved in, in those, in those situations. You know, uh, I think the last murder we had was maybe five or six years ago and it was, it was a, it was a domestic dispute. It was, you know, that, that was, it was not a hard case to solve and we've had accidental deaths. We've had folks who, you know, wander out into the desert and die of dehydration. We've even occasionally had an animal attack, uh, though those are also rare, but I've never seen anything that looked like this. That was actually my next question, um, wanting to know the most common causes of death in the area. Perhaps you could speak more to that. 
yeah, I mean, the most common causes of death are medical rela medically related. Um, you know, if someone is going to die in this area outside of, you know, the things that you would typically see people die from, you know, heart disease or, or things mm -hmm. like that, it would be something related to the heat. Um, you know, it's, it's brutally hot here and occasionally people don't take the precautions that they need to take. That sounds unfortunate, but true. What about, you mentioned animal attacks. What are the animals around? Anything that could possibly do this type of harm? No, it was, it was too, the wounds were too extensive and large for mm. an animal attack. If we, if there were, this isn't exactly right, but if there were grizzly bears in this area, possibly a grizzly bear could do the type of damage that was done. But bobcats, coyotes, those type of things, it it's just it's not it's not possible unless it, it's 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 not possible. Doctor White, do you know Clifford and Lucille well at all? I didn't know either of them at all. No. What was the reaction? If you know, you might be too far from Hellbent to know. But was there a reaction after either of the deaths of the community or the people around? Like. No, I, I, I haven't been. In fact, I, I don't think that I've been in Hellbend for more than a decade. You know, my, my team went out and and took the crime scene photos. I didn't even see, I didn't actually see the, the crime scene firsthand. I wouldn't have much reason to to go out to Hellbend. Most of the time, anyone who dies that I need to examine would be brought here. Speaking of those those crime scene photos, Doctor White, I, I don't know. Uh if we have any more questions for you, but we'd love to, to take a look at those photos if you have them. Yes, absolutely, no problem. Um, and he uh, he goes into one of the rooms that looks like a, a storage closet of some sort and pulls out a couple of files and hands them to you. And you look through, um, it's pretty gruesome, honestly. Both, uh, both crime scenes, um, the bodies look uh, mutilated in the way that, that has been described to you. Do either of you have um, forensics or criminology? I have a 20 in forensics and a 10 in criminology. Okay. Portia? I have a 50 in criminology and a 40 in forensics. All right. So, Portia, you very you, you can see that the, the photos that were done on Clifford Potter's body are professionally done. Um, and he had mentioned that these were photos that were taken by his um, by his team. The photos that were done of Lucille Mayer's body look like someone who doesn't really know what they're doing. And he'll tell you that um, that Deputy Andrazi was the one who took those crime scene photos uh, before the body was collected and brought um, to Independence. Um, but neither of you notice anything on either of, in any of the photos that uh, has not already been described to you by either the sheriff, sheriff's deputy, or the coroner. Um, things things line up pretty pretty cleanly with what they've described to you at this point. Um, you do notice that Lucille Mayer's body certainly looks like the, the rock shelter that she's underneath definitely looks like a place, like, like Deputy Andrazi said, where someone could take shelter if they were looking to take shelter. Um, you see the blood splatter on the bobcat where um, Clifford Potter's body was found. Before we leave, I want to ask him, are there any other theory, what are the theories floating around about this? Yeah, it, to me it seems that the injuries had to be 
human made. And even if, and even that isn't a perfect description because it would take an extraordinary amount of, I would say, anger, rage, uh, for, for someone to cause both of these, the injuries on both of these bodies. But I can't think of a natural occurrence that would have caused, that would have caused these, these so similar sets of injuries on two different people, um, given the evidence that we have. Well, Dr. White, I, like it, like I said earlier, we really appreciate you, you, uh, taking us through all this, uh, Special Agent Marks, I don't know if you have any more questions, but I think, uh, I think that might be all we have for the doctor here. Yeah, not at this time, but of course, you know, we might find ourselves reaching out with questions or wanting to run theories by you at some point. Absolutely. Uh, Margaret at the front desk will, uh, can give you my card and feel free to, to reach out anytime. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We'd appreciate that. All right. So you leave the coroner's office and I assume unless you have anything you want to follow back up with, with either of, either the sheriff or the sheriff's deputy, that the two of you will now make your way to probably to Furnace Creek to meet up and check in and, and, and um, kind of share information and debrief with Ben. Um, is that where you want to head? Is there something else you want to do in the meantime? I don't know. I'm wondering if we can, since we're already here and we might be going other places, I almost want to go talk to about, like, are there suspects already in this homicide case? Like, who was cl- who would have enough rage to do this to them? Sure, we can we can say that you asked that question when you were meeting with them before to kind of get an update on where things stood with the investigation. Yeah, so Deputy Andrazi has done a... Uh, he says that he's done a search of Clifford Potter's house, um, and he has interviewed Emily Warren and interviewed Jarvis Green, who was the person who um, reported Clifford Potter having died. And, you know, they've done a, uh, they've done a cursory investigation, just chatting with some of the locals to see if anyone knows anything. There's no indication that any, that, that either of them had, had been fighting with anyone, had any, had any bad relationships necessarily with anyone. And Andrazi says that he did not find anything of note at Clifford Potter's residence, but he does give you the address if you want to go check it out for yourself. And Potter's house is, uh, is in Hellbent, correct? Yes, it is. Yep. Okay. Um, I guess that may be something we can we can check out before we meet back up with with Bend potentially. Um, I guess if we waited if we waited another day, we might be wasting some time, and I'm not sure if we want to bring Ben with us when we're you know, looking through a, uh, a victim's house. So maybe we we stop there on our own first before uh, meeting up with him at Furnace Creek. Can we call him and tell him what we've learned and kind of hear what he's heard before going? On the burner phones. Sure. If we have, if we have service, that'd be great. Yeah, you you have enough that you think you in independence at least you think you could you could give him a call. So you call, you reach out to Ben. Um, you know, you 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 can, unless either of you is holding anything in particular back, you uh, or any of you are holding anything back, you share information. Do the three of you kind of want to talk about your 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 plan of action here? Yeah. Hey, Ben. Um, so we are uh, we're just about to leave uh, Independence. We we're able to talk with um, with the the sheriff and deputy sheriff uh, and, and the uh, the head coroner um, over at the coroner's office. Um, seen the pictures of the, the two bodies; they were they were pretty gruesome. 
Um, and we I think we got as much as we could from from the sheriffs. They currently don't have any leads, any suspects, and to be honest, nothing really pointing us in any uh, any certain direction. Um, the coroner was saying that he doesn't suspect that it could be, you know, any sort of animal attack. He thinks that these injuries that they incurred had to have come in some way from human infliction. So I don't know. We're 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 kind of um, starting from scratch here, I guess. We did get the address for uh, for Clifford Potter from the sheriff's. So I think our plan was to head there. Uh, and, and check out the place before meeting up later, unless uh, unless you had any urgent reason for us to meet up. No, that sounds good to me. I was able to uh, speak to Jarvis Green, who owns the gas station in Hellbend, um, and um, got some good information from him. He said that he has a, a grandfather um, who actually uh, had been meeting with uh, Clifford, on a regular basis, um, and and they were uh, they were doing uh, some sort of interviews, uh, um, potentially recorded. So um, I'm gonna speak with him early tomorrow morning, um, and I was also able to um, to uh, track down uh, Emily Warren uh, and spoke with her about Lucille. Um, you know, she was she was pretty um, pretty shaken up, but. Um, kind of gave me a little more info about um, about Lucille and, and her life. Do you know what Potter was interviewing him about? The grandfather? Yeah, uh, it, it seems like they were they were talking about um, the the hunt plant um, when when it was open. Um, I, I guess uh, Montgomery used to work there um, way back in the day, and it seemed like Clifford had been um, you know uh, speaking to him about that. Wow. Okay. We should get some research done on that explosion. Maybe even, you know, on the drive on my phone if we can. Yeah, Ben, I don't know if you've researched this already. The sheriff told us that uh, that the plant exploded back in the back in the fifties. Uh, and the 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 owner or the founder of the, the plant, Arthur Hunt, he he died in the explosion when it happened. So yeah, any any sort of information that you could find out about that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to do some uh, some research uh, later tonight. I also, and maybe I, this is just the elephant in the room, but everyone's talking about this being human made, and why would they call in Delta Green if this was a human homicide? Like, I'm waiting to get sort of some weird, weird information. Something stranger must be afoot than seems right now. Yeah, I tend to agree. And maybe can we go and use, you know, I'm sure we have warrants. Can we go look at Clifford's house and also Emily Warren's today? Yeah, there's, uh, you should be able to do that. It, it's, I mean, you know, it's getting later, but you should be able to do that um, today before meeting back into Fern- in, in Furnace Creek. Before people realize there's like all these outsiders descending upon town. Yeah, I think you can do that. Um, yeah, so, so as you're finishing up the phone call, Ben, you kind of in your ear as you were talking on the phone, heard a few um, like buzzes of your phone. And so you look at your text messages um, and you have two text messages. One of them is from your editor. Um, he's asking for an update. And the other one is actually from Olive, your daughter. 
and it's it's actually it's actually two texts. One of them is a photo, and it's like an old. It's a picture like of like an old PC um, unit um, that looks like it was from like you know early two thousands. Um, and underneath the text just says, "My school was getting rid of these, so I grabbed one. Do you think we can get it working again?" So how do you respond to, or what do you do with either of those texts? Ben's generally uh, uh, generally puts his his work first to the detriment of uh, of personal relationships. So uh, so he uh, texts his editor back first and says, um, "You know, he was able to uh, to speak to some people in town today." Um, doesn't really have a whole lot of information yet, but, um, we'll check in tomorrow, um, and let him know that he has, uh, he has an interview set up, um, in the early morning. And then, uh, responds to Olive and says, you know, feel free to, to bring home the AC, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll do what we can, um, next time I see you, uh, hope you're doing well. All right, so... Ben continues to to hang out um, at the Furnace Creek Ranch. Maybe he grabs a bite to eat, plays a quick quick round of golf on the on the <laughs> on the uh, <laughs> on the small course there. Probably not. But meanwhile, Portia and Sunny, you make your way to Hellbend. You see much the same that Ben saw. All of the you know the grass and everything is is dead. You see a lot of buildings that are. Um, abandoned, windows broken, shingles falling off, um, you know, gutters hanging by, you know, just hanging by part of it down onto the ground. Uh, but you follow the directions um, to find the address of uh, Clifford Potter's house. It's kind of on the extremities of Hellbend, you know, a, a little bit northwest of town. You know, a lot of the other people who are still living there live very close to the Gas and Sip, very close to the center of town, but his house is is a little bit outside and you know you look around you know there are no other homes you know within a quarter of a mile in any direction so you know kind of a remote place and it's a one-story gable roofed house painted this like very gross lime green color but surprisingly well maintained for what you've heard about clifford potter um uh immaculate almost there's Though there, there's witch grass outside that's brown and dead, but the house itself seems very well kept. Um, and as you're pulling up, you also notice in the backyard there are like storm there's there's like storm cellar doors. So there seems to be like an external root cellar out back as well. Should we should probably like take some pictures as we're going along. I don't. Would we have like materials for that? Yeah, they probably supplied you with a camera um, as part of the gear that they gave you. And is the house in any way, I guess, part of police evidence or part of the investigation right now? Is it locked off in any way or is it open to, to anyone? Uh, no, there's no like police tape or anything like that up. But there's also no one even close to being around. Let's go inside and start looking around. Yeah, take some pictures of the outside and then head inside. Sure. So the door is actually um, open. The front door is open. Um, And you walk inside to a living room that is um, sparse is generous. Um, It's it's um, there's there's very little in there. Hardwood floor, very clean, um, though a little dusty, obviously, since it's its occupant um, hasn't been there um, for a couple of months. 
you know, there's there's a couple of folding chairs, um, a folding, you know, like a, a card table in the living room and a, a small television, uh, but nothing else in there, nothing on the walls, nothing that makes it look homey at all. Does his, does his bedroom look the same? The rest of the house look the same as well? Kind of sparse and, and un- unlived in almost? So you're not positive. There's there's a couple doors off to the right um, that might lead to a bedroom or a bathroom that are closed. And then uh, off to the left, it looks like it leads into a kitchen. Yeah, definitely keep looking around. But in the living room, there's no like bookshelf or boxes or trunks or a desk or anything? Nope, just the folding chairs, the card table, and the, the TV. Yeah, I think my instincts are saying that the those storm cellar doors in the back are definitely where we'll want to end up. But I think it's worth uh, searching through the rest of the house while we're inside. Agreed. Sure. So which of you which of you go where? I'll walk into the kitchen. Sure. If you want to take the kitchen, I can take the uh, the bedroom and bathroom. Sure. All right. So Sunny, um, you open one of the doors. You see that it's a bathroom again, um, sparsely appointed, but but clean, um, not messy. Like you're, you're almost getting the impression of someone who was in the military and likes things in their exact place. And you open the bedroom door and it's, it's very similar. There is a desk in there and a chair, a, a bed that looks not very expensive and like the mattress um, has, has been used for a long time. But again, the bed is made, you know, there's, there are a couple pens sitting um, in a cup on the desk. Um, but there's nothing else sitting on the desk. Yeah, just very sparse, but very, very well organized. Um, meanwhile, Portia, you walk into the kitchen, and this is the first place where it looks like looks like somebody actually lives here or lived here. Um, there's actually like there is stuff in the kitchen. The first thing that you see is is a kind of a, a shelf um, that looked like it served as a pantry for him. Um, there's like canned meat, chili, boxed noodle dishes, like, you know, pretty pretty simple, easy to make food, um, and all like lined up very precisely um, on the shelves. And then the, the kitchen table um, has quite a few things on it. There are, there's a pair of gloves that are covered in uh, red dirt. There are, um, there's a boom box and a bunch of like cassette tapes um, they seem to be labeled something that you don't you don't immediately see what's written on them. There's a notepad. Uh, there's a, a hand-drawn map, and there are two books. Um, and the books are the first thing that draw your eye, and so you walk over and look at them. And um, the two books, um, one has the title radioactivity and geology an account of the influence of radioactive energy on terrestrial history and then the other one is called radioactivity and its measurement and that's where we're going to stop our story today this podcast was published by arrangement with the delta green partnership The intellectual property known as Delta Green is a trademark and copyright owned by the Delta Green Partnership, who has licensed its use here. The scenario Future Perfect is copyright Dennis Detwiller, and the contents of this podcast are copyright Nature of My Game podcast, accepting those elements that are the components of the Delta Green intellectual property. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. 
You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at NOMGPodcast.com. <laughs>